Hi folks, I want to welcome you to our adult Sunday school time here at the Kerbinsville Christian Church. We've been doing a study through the Old Testament, doing a survey of the Old Testament. We're up to the books of Ezra, Nehemiah, and Esther. And we've referred to this section of lessons as the return to the land, meaning the return from the Babylonian captivity back to the land. And so we have been studying that in our Sunday school time. The last few weeks we were looking at Ezra. Today we're going to begin in Nehemiah. Nehemiah obviously is well known to you because he rebuilds the wall of Jerusalem. So we're going to start out today looking at uh, the burden for the city. And that's the burden that Nehemiah had concerning the situation in the city. We find that in Nehemiah chapter 1, verse 1 through chapter 3, verse 32. So let's, let's go ahead and get into our study today. Chapter 1 is focused on the whole issue of Nehemiah getting a report from Jerusalem. So the first thing you're going to notice when you start out in chapter 1 is that Nehemiah was in the city of Shushan in the 20th year of Artaxerxes I. Okay, so let's stop for a moment, just kind of get our focus here as far as the timeline of what's happening here. So if you remember, the book of Ezra ends with Ezra being in Jerusalem and bringing about reforms. And remember, he was sent back by Artaxerxes I back to Jerusalem with a decree to impose the law of Moses on the Jews who were living in that area and given the power of execution to make sure that they would abide by the law of Moses. Now that happened in the seventh year of Artaxerxes I. Here we are at the beginning of Nehemiah, and we are now in the 20th year of Artaxerxes I. So just so you want to see the timeline here, we're dealing with the same king, but we're now with the person of Nehemiah three, 13 years later. Now, I just also want to mention to you that as we get through the book of Nehemiah, you're going to be reintroduced to Ezra. Ezra's ministry coincided with the governorship of Nehemiah in Jerusalem. Now, the text tells us that Nehemiah asked Hananiah concerning the condition of the remnant and Jerusalem. So there He's wanting to know, as would all Jews, how is it back in Jerusalem? How's it back in the home country? How's it back with everybody there? Because they would know who was there. How's it back with the folks he wants to get a report? So Hananiah reported that the remnant was in distress and in reproach because of the city's walls. Now, there's two different things here. In distress, meaning they're not faring too well, okay? So they're not doing well probably economically they're not doing well and partially because the city has no defenses that then brings about the whole issue of a reproach it would be a humiliation to them to be living in a city that has no defenses that's basically in ruins because of the babylonian captivity and the babylonian invasion that took place a hundred years before this time so it's basically he's hearing a report that things aren't well in Jerusalem. Hananiah says that the walls of Jerusalem were broken down 
and the gates of the city were burned. Okay, so the walls, the gates would be the next major fortified area, and they would be the opening to get in the city and get out, but they would have to be well-protected gates and very thick gates, obviously, to withstand any kind of attack against the city. But the fact is they don't have any gates because the gates are burned down. When Nehemiah heard the report, he sat down and wept as he mourned for many days. So when he hears the report, his reaction is he's going to sit down and he's going to weep over the city. But that weeping just isn't for the moment. It's for many days. He is heartbroken over the condition of the Israeli people as well as uh, the condition of Jerusalem. He mourned for many days as he fasted and prayed before the God of heaven. So here's what he does. When he hears this terrible news, he's not just grief-stricken. He's not just broken in his heart about what's going on and worried about what's going on. He prays. He fasts and prays. He, he devotes himself to seeking the God of heaven, to seeking the God of Israel. So as Nehemiah begins his prayer, and we can see his prayer, it's a, very, it's a great prayer. Okay, so we're going to talk about it as we go through it here. So as he begins his prayer, he recognized God as the one who keeps covenant and is merciful. Here's the thing. They knew as Jews, that God was the one who established the covenant with them. And that God is the one who keeps his covenants. And they also knew that God was merciful. And so that's the first thing he starts out with when he prays. God, you are merciful. God, you are the one who keeps your covenants. You keep your agreements and you made an agreement with us. He asked God to hear his prayer as he confessed the sins of Israel against the Lord. Now, a lot of times we can get into a mindset, well, I don't need to worry about what this person did, or I don't need to worry about what my ancestor did. All I need to worry about is my sin. That is not the reflection that you see in Scripture. Scripture is basically painting a picture that, in a sense, we are a reflection of our forebearers. And as they were sinners and sinned against God, we hold a responsibility as well. Why? Because you see in the Old Testament, sin is visited to the seventh generation. Nehemiah knows that. So when he goes and confesses, he's not just confessing his own sins, folks. He's confessing the sins of his father's against the Lord because he recognizes what they're going through right now is because of the sins of their fathers. They're facing the consequences of that behavior. And so the reality is, is that he, he's asking God, hear my prayers, Lord. I confess we have sinned against you. Notice the we have sinned against you. So he confesses that they did not keep the commandments and the ordinances that Moses was given. Given where? On Mount Sinai. The law. They have not kept the law. Now, isn't this interesting? Here we are, folks. Remember, the whole reason why they went into the Babylonian captivity 
was because they did not follow the Lord. They did not keep his commandments. They did not keep his ordinances. They went whoring around by chasing after the gods of the other nations. They did abominable things. They killed his prophets, the Lord's prophets. They go into captivity. They come back. They're given another chance. Guess what? They're still not doing right. He's confessing that they haven't kept the commandments and the ordinances. Nehemiah recalled the words of Moses concerning unfaithfulness and returning to the Lord. So what he does here in this section now of this passage is, is he recalls that God warned them, if you are unfaithful, this is going to happen. And they know that because they've just experienced it. But he also records the promise that God says, but if you return to me, I will bring you back to this place, to this land. I will restore you. So Nehemiah reminded the Lord concerning his promise to regather Israel to the land. So basically he's saying, God, you said this, you made this promise. Something for us to learn when we pray. There's nothing wrong with reminding God what he has told you in his word. He calls for the Lord to give attention to his people who have returned to the land. God, the people have come back. You made this promise about bringing them back and watching over them. Pay attention to them. That's what he's talking about here. Pay attention to them. And then he says, he calls the Lord to hear the prayers of his servants who fear his name. And let them prosper. Let them find favor. God, you show up. You do what you need to do. Hear the prayers of your servants because they fear your name. They obey you. And then he finishes out chapter 1 with this statement. He identifies himself as the king's cupbearer. Cupbearer. Now, what do we mean by cupbearer, George? Well, it was a very important position in these ancient monarchies that happened. Last time we saw a cupbearer was all the way back in Genesis. Remember when Joseph was in prison, there was a baker, and the New King James says butler. Well, butler is a cupbearer. These are the same type of person. It's a high official in the court of a king, and his responsibility is to make sure that the wine and the food that's brought before the king hasn't been poisoned. He's kind of like the pledge. You say, well, he's, well, that means he's a food taster. Well, it's more than just tasting food, folks. He was someone who enjoyed the privilege and the power of the king and the favor of the king because really the king's life was in his hands with regards to the meals that he would eat. And so Nehemiah identifies himself as one of these high officials within the court of Artaxerxes I. So that brings us to uh, the end of Nehemiah chapter 1. So then we get into Nehemiah chapter 2, and we're going to break this up in a couple of sections. Well, verses 1 to 8 is going to focus on Nehemiah's request. Nehemiah's request. So this, four months later, so when you read this, it's going to tell you a month according to the calendar, but it's actually four months later, Nehemiah was performing his duties by setting wine before the king. 
So it was that part of the day when wine would be set before the king. Well, that's his responsibility is to set the wine before the king. The king noticed that Nehemiah was sad and that it was sorrow of heart. So obviously this has been bothering Nehemiah for four months now. And he's obviously heartbroken over the situation and the king notices this. And that this wasn't just any kind of sadness. This was sorrow of heart. This was, be, this was affecting him very much. So when the king questioned Nehemiah about his sadness, Nehemiah became dreadfully afraid. Why? Well, here's the understanding. In these ancient times, these monarchs did not want any Debbie Downers near them. Do you understand what I mean by a Debbie Downer? They did not want any kind of negative vibes coming from their servants. So all their servants had to portray that everything was fine. Well, here's Nehemiah. He's this high official. He's the guy that makes sure the food's okay. But he's coming in there, and the king is noticing, this guy ain't happy. There's something bothering him. He's not right. So... Nehemiah becomes afraid now because this is not the way that he's supposed to appear before the king. So when the king asked Nehemiah what his request was, he prayed to the God of heaven. So Nehemiah realizes this is the opportunity. The king is saying, what's your request? There's obviously something on your heart. What do you want? And Nehemiah prays to the God of heaven. I think that's interesting, the realization that Nehemiah knows, well, you know, I can say this, but I need God to guide me with what I say. And I need God to give me favor with what I ask, okay? With what I ask. So Nehemiah asked the king to be sent back to Judah to rebuild Jerusalem if he had found favor. He's basically telling the king that the, the land of his fathers is in ruins, the walls are down. Lord, king, send me back and I will rebuild them with, with your favor in doing this and, and restore the city. The king wanted to know how long Nehemiah will be gone and when he will return. Now, this is interesting. The king is open to send Nehemiah, but he wants Nehemiah back. So how long is it going to take you? How long are you going to be gone? And when are you coming back? Okay, when are you coming back? That's very obvious here. So Nehemiah then requested letters from the king, granting him passage and supplies for the task. So in order to go from Sushan all the way over to Jerusalem, he's got to pass through many territories. With that, he's going to need letters allowing him passage through those territories so he wouldn't be hindered. And he also needs supplies for the journey and supplies for the work that needs to be done in Jerusalem. So he's asking the king for these things. Nehemiah accompanied, was accompanied by Persian horsemen presented the king's letters to the governors. Now, what governors, George? Well, when he gets to the area of Israel, now there are several other people groups there, and there are several other areas, and they have governors over their areas. And so he has to show up there and 
meet with these governors and explain why he's there. Why is this guy coming from the king with this Persian cavalry that's with him? He presents the letters to these governors. Now, we're going to be introduced to two antagonists now, okay, in this story, in this narrative. Zambalat, the Horonite, and Tobiah, the Ammonite. Now, we understand Ammonites because Ammon was one of the sons of Lot and the people that came from him. So we understand where Tobiah the Ammonite is from. What is a Horonite? Well, this was a Samaritan from Beth Horon. That's why the Horonite. So now you're going to understand the animosity by the time of the Gospels to the Samaritans because these are the same Samaritans, remember, when they were rebuilding the temple they wanted to have a part in building the temple because they say they follow God as well. But Zerubbabel said, no, we're not going to let you have a part. And so then they tried to stop the temple from being built. So already there is some animosity here. So Zambalat the Horonite and Tobiah the Ammonite were displeased by the plan to help the Jews. So they were not happy with the fact that somebody was coming from the king with letters from the king to help the Jews. Why? Because this is the problem. The Jews are in distress. They're in reproach. They're no, I mean, basically, these guys are bullies. They can do whatever they want. Three days after his arrival in Jerusalem... Now we're coming to chapter 2, verse 9, through chapter 3, verse 22. Three days after his arrival in Jerusalem, he went at night to survey the walls of the city. So it's kind of smart of Nehemiah. Nehemiah shows up. It isn't until three days later that he goes at night by himself with a few men to survey the walls of the city. Nehemiah told no one the plan that God had placed on his heart concerning the city. This is a, this, you can see that Nehemiah is a true leader. A true leader doesn't necessarily share the plans that God has placed on his heart until the time is right. The time is right. And so Nehemiah hasn't shared what he's doing and what the plan is yet. He surveyed the walls on horseback and then on foot at places the horse could not pass. So for most of the journey, he's traveling around the walls on horse, surveying what's going on. But there were certain places that the horse could not get through, so he had to go and survey them on foot to see what was going on. The officials and priests did not know where Nehemiah went as he surveyed. They had no clue this was going on. It's at night. They're probably getting ready for bed themselves or having a good meal. They had no clue that this visitor from the king is surveying their property, their city. So the text goes on and tells us then, so when he gets back, he then meets with the leaders. He met with the leaders and pointed out the distress that the city was enduring. Well, you might be saying, well, it's like they, already, they don't already know that. Well, no, but he's coming along and he's giving an assessment. He's telling them, this is the situation you're in. And he called them to rebuild the walls of Jerusalem so that the reproach would be removed. 
So his whole point is, okay, we've got to rebuild these walls so that the reproach that is upon the people of God would be removed. He also told them the favor of the Lord that was shown through the king. Because here's the thing, you can go there and you can show up and you can say, hey, we're going to rebuild these walls. These guys aren't going to do it necessarily because they're fearful. They're fearful of who? Zambalat the Horonite, Tobiah the Ammonite, others. They're not sure if this guy really has the authority to do that. So what does Nehemiah do? Nehemiah says, look, I'm going to show you that God has been with me, and he's been with me because the king has given his blessing to do that. Wow, you got the royal approval here. That's what's going on. So the leaders agreed to rise up and build as they set themselves to begin the work. So they be, get to the place where they're like, okay, we're ready. Let's rise up and do this. Okay, rise up and do this. Now, here's the problem. We've got some opposition, of course. So Zambalat and the other enemies mocked the Jews and stated that they were rebelling. So they're mocking the Jews. So it's Zambalat and uh, Tobiah the Amorite and as well as others who are there, they're mocking the Jews. And... They're saying, well, there's no way you can do this. And then they say, look, you are rebelling against the king by doing this. We say, obviously, they're not because they have the blessing of the king. That's not the point. The point is, is these guys want to stop the process. They don't want to see the city fortified. So Nehemiah responded. It's an interesting response. He responded that God, the God of heaven will help them and that they have no claim. Now, you're probably asking yourself, what claim? Well, the fact is, remember, at the beginning, when we were in the first six chapters of Ezra, when they showed up and were basically re-inhabiting the city and relaying the foundation for the temple, the Samaritans showed up and wanted to what? Join in the rebuilding, and they said they had a claim because they had been in the land since the Assyrian king brought them there, and they'd been following the Lord. And of course, from that time on, they were told, no, you have no part in building this temple. You have no part in this city. That's the whole point. Nehemiah is stressing again that the Samaritans have no claim to what goes on with Jerusalem. He's responding to them and that the God of heaven will help them. Well, that brings us now to chapter 3, verses 1 to 22. Now, when you read this section, you're going to be like, wow, what is this? This is basically a listing of those who did the work. So the writer lists the various leaders and their families who repaired certain sections of the wall. So that's what you're going to see. It's going to say this leader and his, the people who were with him repaired this section, and it goes on throughout chapter 3. Well, next week, we're going to get into chapter 4, and we're going to look at the whole issue now 
of the rebuilding of the walls. So next week we're going to look at chapter 4, verse 1, through chapter 6, verse 19. 